0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. We're in the middle of a series in the series through the book of Ruth. There's four chapters to the book of Ruth, so we're taking four weeks. So uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3 today. Before we begin, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the third chapter of Ruth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to just come together as your people. We're doing right now what we know your people have always done which they come together to hear you through your word and then respond in worship. We know that we hear primarily from you through your word. This is the way you've chosen to communicate to us. This is how we discover the eternal truths, the things that are of most and important in this life. So we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together as your people and understand it and then apply it to our lives. We, We know that This exercise is not divorced from uh, your spirit, and so, Spirit, we invite you to come and do the work that only you can do of of giving us eyes to see not only the truth of your word, but, but to see it for what it is as good news, even great glorious news. Lord, help us to have joy in what we're learning and wrestling with today. Spirit, we also ask that you would come and convict us where we need conviction, encourage us where we need encouragement, and give us faith where we lack. To that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Have you ever heard the song Matchmaker from the old musical Fiddler on the Roof? It's a funny little song about a group of sisters, and they're kind of at an age, a marrying age, and uh, and they sing this song together to the, to the local Yenta. Yenta in the Jewish culture was this uh, lady who was a matchmaker, and she was kind of a combination of a couple of things, matchmaker and town gossip. So that sort of goes together, right? So they're singing this song to this, this Yenta, this matchmaker, and the song begins with some, some real high hopes. So these young ladies... They rhetorically sing to the Yenta, and and they ask her to look into her matchmaking book and, and to find a husband, a perfect match for them. And so they sing about a man who's slender and pale, the envy of all, rich as a king, handsome as anything. But then the sisters kind of begin to turn on each other, as sometimes sisters do. And they begin to kind of lower their expectations. They start highlighting and reminding each other initially, hey, we're really poor. We're impoverished, okay? And then they start kind of reminding each other of all their failings. They start criticizing each other. And as a result, their standards begin to lower. So they sing about just being willing to settle for whatever the Yenta brings to them. They sing about a match who is handsome. He's young. All right, he's 62. They sing about a match who is tall. That is from side to side. They sing about a match who has a temper, but only when he's sober. So you'll be all right. The book of Ruth, it's all about God promising to love his family. But we're at a point in the story where we need a skilled matchmaker to make it all happen. You see, even though we love these two characters, Ruth and Boaz, by their culture standards, they're really not that great of a catch. They need a matchmaker to develop this, what I would argue and I think we'll all see is a really strange plan on how to, find a husband how to find this kinsman redeemer however this is going to take some skill it's going to take some outright manipulation and and Naomi she uh, doesn't have a lot to work with there's going to this is going to challenge her matchmaking skills but we need a matchmaker at this point in the in the uh, in the story Ruth three is important because it calls us to pursue our redeemer but also to believe in his provisions and his promises if you're new with us, we're in this study of the book of Ruth, and we've said that this is a classic short story. In fact, some commentators have said this is one of the greatest examples of kind of literary genius in the Old Testament. I think maybe that goes a little far. But, but, but it does highlight that this is a, a beautiful short story. And like all great short stories, there's layers to it. In other words, the, the more you circle it, the more you think about it, the, the more treasures you can mine from it. So there's, there's layers of really profound wisdom here. And so I've kind of said that, listen, at the end of the day, I probably really just want to introduce you to the book of Ruth because I want you to keep circling it in order to mine those, uh, those treasures from it. Also, the opening verses of the book of Ruth, uh, note that this is during the period of the Judges. And if you remember the book of Judges, that whole period is marked by moral decay. It's marked by chaos. Those are the things that grab the headlines. These, these really shocking things happen in the nation of Israel during the period of Judges. But while all that's getting the headlines, we have this story of the real lives of ordinary people. And, and they're doing what ordinary real people do. And it's a great reminder that, listen, even though maybe all these shocking things are happening on the headlines, even though there's maybe all this moral decay going on around us, God works through the ordinary. And that's really what I think the first chapter is all about we we said that when we're playing checkers God is playing three-dimensional chess. In other words, when we're just kind of going through the ordinary of going about our days, God is working at profound levels. And so, it's a call to be intentional in those moments. And then a couple of weeks ago with chapter 2, we saw that God works through godly people in order to guard his people. Therefore, we're supposed to play the man like Boaz. We're to be godly people that God can use. All this plays into this theme of the book that God promises to love His family. In other words, no matter the twist or the turn or the high or the low or the challenge or the trial, God promises to love you. Therefore, chapter 3, it's going to call us to pursue our Redeemer for these promises. I have a few questions for you today. And the first one is, what is your plan to pursue the Redeemer? Look with me at the first five verses. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "'My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, "'that it may be well with you? "'Is not Boaz our relative, "'with whose young women you, you were? "'See, he is winnowing barley tonight "'at the threshing floor. "'Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, "'and put on your cloak, "'and go down to the threshing floor.'" But do not make for yourself, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. It's a weird story. This is a weird plan, right? However, the point of it is rest. Rest is the goal of this plan. Rest is the opposite of burdensome work. Naomi wants rest for Ruth. Now, some translations, depending on what you're reading from, it uses the term instead of rest, it says home or security. I think rest is a great term here because it gets to the heart of what Naomi is shooting for, but it also gets to the broader implications. She wants rest in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. Naomi, as a matchmaker, she she understood that finding Ruth a husband would bring her rest. It would bring her security. It would bring her home. Now, historically, this has been true, but it's still true to a certain level today. Naomi and Ruth, they lived in a day where even though Israel was better than the nations around them, they were still women in a country where they had very limited opportunities for work. And so getting married, this was kind of their ticket for physical security. This was their salvation. This is how they could find physical rest as if Ruth could get married. Now, finding a husband, it would provide for Ruth's, Ruth's financial security. And she wouldn't go hungry. They, they were in this vulnerable position uh, of being impoverished and even starving uh, because of the fact that they were women and didn't have a husband. Now, I think it's a good thing that we're not in a day like that. Amen, ladies? Like, we live in a day where ladies aren't limited in their work opportunities like it was in the ancient Israel. So, ladies, and it's a good thing, by the grace of God, that, that we don't have these types of restrictions. However, it is also, and all the data shows this, that, that it's certainly true that people are better off financially when two, when two are together in marriage. However, what we see here is in God's broader creation order, Marriage is meant to provide rest. Marriage is meant to provide rest for both the husband and the wife. In other words, marriage is good. It's a good thing to desire marriage, parents. It's a good thing for you to desire marriage for your children. I desire marriage for our children, but we need to be careful that we don't idolize marriage. Right? If you think about it, uh, the what I think are the two most uh, the greatest people who ever lived were single. They weren't married. Jesus and Paul. So, so it's not that marriage is this thing that we have to do. Or or if you don't get married, you're not going to be happy. Many people are married and they're not happy. But it does highlight that that marriage is a good thing. It's not a sure way to find happiness, but it is a good thing. and it, And it's a... Great source of happiness, at least my marriage is. And it's meant to be that. It's part of God's created order, and we're supposed to celebrate a marriage and encourage marriage. In other words, marriage um, does lead to rest, and there's still a place for a good matchmaker even today. However, in a, in a great short story form and, and consistent with Old Testament biblical theology, these verses, they're using an ordinary real-life account to make a theological metaphor, to, to, to build a bridge to a greater truth. As married couples find rest in marriage, it actually points to a greater rest in a greater marriage with a greater husband. That in a broader sense is actually what's going on here. Do you remember the image of the church in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5? That The church is the bride of Christ. What's meant there is, is that even if you don't have an earthly husband, you have a heavenly husband. Even though you don't you maybe don't find the, the rest in a marriage here, you have this greater rest that is to come. In verses two to five, Naomi develops this plan. She develops this plan for Ruth to pursue an earthly husband. You now the gist of it is, she asks her to clean up, pick the right time to approach him. And then she has this odd plan to sit at his feet. But, but the point is that Naomi developed a plan to pursue an earthly redeemer. That's the point. They didn't throw up their hands. They didn't demand something, but they had this plan. There was an intentionality. And listen, when I was pursuing Kristen, I, I had to have a plan, okay? I mean, as you know, she was having to marry down if we were going to get married. So I had to kind of put my best foot forward, okay? I couldn't wing it. She wanted to know that I had a plan. Her dad certainly wanted to know that I had a plan on where I was going. So I had to be intentional with it. And it's the same thing here. She's just asking her to be intentional, okay? She puts her best foot forward and she develops this plan. The, the application for us is to develop a plan to pursue a heavenly redeemer. Tony Marita says it this way, God's sovereignty is not a license for human inactivity you have a plan to approach your heavenly redeemer. Are you intentional in your spiritual life? Do you think spiritual maturity or closeness with God, do you think it just happens? Do you, are are you winging it spiritually? You see, what area of your life are you putting more intentionality in than in your spiritual life? You see, in these Opening verses of wily and cunning Yenta, she's developed a plan for Ruth to pursue an earthly redeemer in order for Ruth to find rest. What's your plan to pursue your redeemer? Well, the second main question is, what is your proposal to the redeemer? Look with me at verses 6 to 9. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down at midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold a woman lay at his feet he said who are you and she said and she answered i am ruth your servant spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer naomi proposed this strange plan for ruth to pursue And Ruth, true to character, she faithfully obeys her mother-in-law. Her matchmaker had developed this well-thought-out plan, and Ruth faithfully followed the plan. The plan had been to approach him on the threshing floor during the winnowing season. This is the end of the, the harvest period. And so the gist of the scene is, is the, the harvest is done. And now they, they have all this barley. And they're trying to, uh, to remove the husk from the kernels. And, and they crush them. They could do it a different, uh, few different ways. And then they would try to separate them. And typically that involved throwing it up in the air and trying to separate it all out. They, they, it was a lot of work. But the, the ethos, if you will, of the scene is this is a celebratory moment. This is that they're celebrating the end of the harvest season. And this is kind of like, a, a, think a harvest celebration or a, a big picnic or a big party. This is a joyous party atmosphere. Think festival, think picnic vibe, like a good Super Bowl party. Everybody's bringing their best dishes out to share with everyone. People enjoyed some good drinks. No doubt some people drank a little too much at this party. But the point of it was and what the matchmaker understood is that, is that uh, Boaz would be in a moment where his heart was merry, where his heart was soft. Naomi knew Boaz, he wouldn't be distracted by the burdens of work. His, his mind wouldn't be filled with all the responsibilities that he was in charge of. He was going to be at this moment where he was going to be relaxed, where he was going to be merry. Verse 7 explains that Ruth approached him softly. I think this is a key term in this story. Certainly, this meant that she, she was quiet as uh, she uh, came to him. However, it, it's also a description of her heart. Certainly, she quietly came and sat at his feet. But I think something more is going on there. Now, certainly, this is a bold move, right? It's kind of a risky move. So this took some courage and it took some guts. But, but there, uh, she comes at him humbly and gently and softly. is being very vulnerable in this moment. Notice she doesn't wake him up. Like she comes quietly, softly to him, and he doesn't wake up. She laid at his feet as an act of humble submission. This is meant to be understood as as a tender, sweet gesture. The point of the proposal was to seek uh, to place herself under his care. But notice she doesn't demand his care. She she approaches him softly. She approaches him quietly, quietly. She snuggles up to him softly. I don't mean to belittle Ruth with this illustration, but I've got a, a huggy labradoodle at home. And Gracie is just always at my feet, and she's just always right there by me. And, and that's, I think, similar to what's going on here. She's just snuggled up to him in this submissive, humble, tender, and I think sweet moment. When Boaz woke up in the middle of the night, he's startled by his presence. And, and this is not what he expected. This, and this was her moment, and she makes her proposal. And there's kind of three parts to her proposal. Number one, she began by admitting her humble position as his servant. She's beneath him, not the other way around. She, she comes at him humbly. Second, she asked for Boaz's covering and care. She needed his salvation, and she asked for, for him to cover her with his wings. And third, the reason she sought covering from Boaz was because of who he was, he was a kinsman redeemer. Based upon who he was, his, his person, and his position, he was eligible to redeem her. And so she claims that. How are you approaching your redeemer? What is your proposal to your redeemer? I think this is important for our age. And listen, it's not that different than other ages. But do you approach him softly and humbly, or are you demanding of him? Because we have a lot of people in our culture that are demanding things of God. If He doesn't fit within their ethic or within what they want from God, then they want to have nothing to do with them. They're not coming at Him humbly. They're not coming at Him softly. Are you His servant or do you want Him to be your servant? Do you seek His covering and care or do you seek salvation from someone or somewhere else? What does it really mean to be covered by Him? This leads to our third question. Do you believe the promise of the Redeemer? Look at verses 10 to 13. And he said, may, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young, after, a young, after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer yet there's a redeemer nearer than i remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good let him do it but if he is not willing to redeem you then as the lord lives i will redeem you lie down until the morning covering means blessing i think blessing is best understood as as holistic happiness it's not a it's not shallow silliness it's not just giggliness but Boaz prays that the Lord would provide Ruth with real lasting joy he, he prayed this benediction this this uh, blessing over her based upon her humble kindness she, she's approached him humbly that's how she has pursued him and he responds with that she, she's had this plan this proposal and she's come at him from a humble place and this is uh, from her heart she comes from a humble heart and he responds to this now up to this point in the story, we've assumed that Boaz is kind of the catch here and Ruth is maybe not. But, but that's not Boaz's perspective at all, is it? Like he is blown away by this. He, he thinks this is a wonderful thing. This is something he desires. It's not something that he expected or demanded, but, but he views this as a wonderful blessing and a grace. Now, probably the root of that is that he's an older man. He calls her daughter, and he notes that she doesn't pursue the younger men, even rich or poor. And so there's, there's, from his perspective, he's not really worthy of Ruth. He notes that she's a worthy uh, woman, and, and he is humbled by, his, by her proposal. But from his perspective, Boaz thought that Ruth could do better than him. I think this whole scene demonstrates the humility of both of them. You see, at, at some measurement, the, the culture has downgraded both of them. We don't know all about Ruth, but we know that she's a poor foreigner in a, in a foreign land. We don't know all there is to know about Boaz. Maybe he had been married before. We don't know. But we do know that he's an older man and he doesn't have a, a lot of women throwing themselves at, at his feet. I'm a sucker for a good love story, including when it includes like brokenness and imperfect people. And in those imperfections and in those twists and turns, when God brings two people together, I think that's really beautiful. Beautiful. And listen, that's what's going on here in this scene. These are very imperfect, ordinary people. I find them beautifully relatable, don't you? Aren't you rooting for them at this point? Like These are just real people. They've had hard things happen. They're humble, kind people. And now they're coming together. Based upon her humble and kind proposal, the kinsman redeemer promised redemption. She sought his covering. She sought his blessing. And he's willing to give it to her. He promised to share with her all that he had. He promised himself. He promises salvation from this lowly, impoverished, vulnerable state that she's in. He promised to bring her up and dwell with him. However, I want you to note here that he promised to do it the right way. Like at this point of the story, if you're looking at this kind of through a short story lens, there's kind of a weird tension here, right? Like, finally, through all the twists and turns and the ups and downs, they're finally together, like, I'm excited at this point, and then he throws out, yeah, but there could be somebody else. Like, there's this weird tension, and I'm pulling out my hair saying, come on, dude, just, just like, skirt around the edges and just make this happen. Like, like, don't pursue somebody else here. But that's not how Boaz operates. Remember, Boaz is described as a worthy man. He's a man of character. We, we talked about how we love how he carries himself. He is trying to be sensitive to the custom and to the law. You see, he is a redeemer who fulfills the law in order to bring the redemption. Do you see that? Like he's not cutting corners here. He's fulfilling the law. This whole story with all its its twists and turns and hurdles, it's finally come to this point. But but Boaz is the type of kinsman redeemer that's going to fulfill the law in order to bring the redemption. He closes uh, with this promise to redeem. That promise is secure. She doesn't know how it's going to happen at this point, but He promises that she will be redeemed. But there's also this admonition to rest. Do you notice that? They, they, They walk through the proposal. He makes the promise. And then what does He tell her to do? To run off? He tells her to stay and to rest. She's able to rest now because of the promise that He made. Do you see that? Once again, as, a, as New Testament Christians, we, we understand that we're to read back into the book of Ruth. We're, we're to read it backwards through the lens of the cross, right? Like, like listen, there's just Jesus and Gospel and cross all over the place here, right? L- like, like Boaz is this kinsman redeemer and he serves as this type pointing to an ultimate kinsman redeemer. No doubt this story, it, it's, it's meant to be a bridge to the Messiah. There's a kinsman redeemer who's going to come. He's going to be a, a righteous man, a worthy man. He's not going to skirt around the law. He's going to fulfill the law. He's going to do things the right way, but he's going to do it in a way to where he brings this promise redemption. I mean, how, how you need a clearer bridge to Jesus or what? I mean, just this is this clear bridge to this other kinsman redeemer that we have. So, Like how Ruth approached her earthly kinsman redeemer. When we intentionally make a plan to pursue him and humbly approach him with a proposal seeking his redemption, we will also find covering and blessing. Do you see that? Jesus, our heavenly redeemer, he also makes promises of coverings and blessing. Jesus also then counsels us to rest in those promises. We can rest no matter what comes because of the promises that He's made about our future. This pattern of genuine pursuit and humble proposal and then redemptive promise. This is seen on the cross itself. You remember on the cross, the the two sinners, the two criminals on each side of Christ. One of them doesn't pursue Jesus the way Ruth did. He doesn't pursue Jesus humbly. In fact, he initially mocks Jesus and then just tries to to get something out of Jesus, listen. That's how most people treat Jesus, right? Like, when you're faced with Jesus, you got to do something with him, and that's how most sinners approach him. But then there's this other sinner on the other side, and he approaches Jesus like Ruth approached him. He approaches him humbly. He doesn't try to justify his sin. He doesn't spin it in some sort of way. He's transparent about his sinner. He knows that he's supposed to be on that cross. He's a criminal, but yet. He goes to Jesus humbly for his redemption. He asks him for his covering, his blessing. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the promise he makes to him. Like Boaz with Ruth, Jesus promises, he promised this man redemption and blessing. He promised that redemption and blessing meant that he would be in his presence. And then he counseled him to rest on that promise. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a glorious pattern that we see in this couple that we get to experience today? Ruth had to believe the promise of her Redeemer, Boaz. Do you believe the promise of your Redeemer, Jesus? Let me ask a final question. Have you accepted the provision of the Redeemer? Look with me at verses 14 to 18. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it, and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that, the man had, uh, that they had, all that the man had for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but will settle settle the matter today. Boaz had promised her blessing and redemption. He he counseled Ruth even to rest in the certainty of the promise. And then he provides her this provision. These six measures of barley, this is a a demonstration of grace. He gives Ruth and Naomi something that they didn't earn. He, he gives them this good gift that they didn't earn. And, and listen, the, the barley is certainly meant to be an impact uh, to impact their physical needs. OK, but there's something deeper spiritually going on here. That barley actually serves as a as a token, as a provision for the promise that is to come. It's this thing that points to something greater. They can truly hope in and believe in the promise based upon this token, this provision. Let me illustrate what I mean. Um, as, as you know, Shannon is our our bookkeeper, and she has a, a little saying around here that that she throws out. Uh, she calls it God math. That every now and then we kind of get to a point and we're like, I don't know how all this is going to come together. And and Shannon then starts talking about God math that. that and she's talking about these provisions, these little tokens that, that God provides in order just to kind of keep us going down the tracks of faithfulness. And she'll point to moments like that. And, and sometimes when something has happened, she'll put it in this category of God math, this moment where God has just given us these little provisions in order to validate his future promises. Let me illustrate this a little bit further. Um, when we were planning to come into the building and making the plans for this, Brian Taylor was one of our trustees at the time. And Brian kind of approaches things how I approach him. He's pretty conservative with the money. We both think, okay, listen, we, this is God's money. We want to be careful with this. And so we were nervous coming in. And so literally it was a cold December morning. We we grabbed one of the whiteboards that we still have. And I think we mapped it out like 10 years. okay. What if we, it costs this much and we only bring this much and then this, and we just, we just got into the weeds of it all morning and we just kind of ran all the traps. We checked it from all the angles and in the end, we looked at each other and we said, listen, we want this to be faith building for our people. Now, I think we were talking about the church as a whole. We were looking at each other and we were really talking to each other. We wanted it to be faith building for us. And, and, and that's what happened. In the end, we saw God math. We saw His provision and for For me and Brian both, it became this faith-building moment. We saw God's present provision that gave us greater faith for future promises. Listen, we're about to begin a process to kind of, this is too crowded in here. We recognize that. We're working on it, okay? I don't share that illustration to like manipulate you to give you to the next building project. I share that to say, That has been my most recent and one of the most significant examples of my life of God's provision, of Him giving us these tokens of blessing just to kind of keep us moving forward in faith, believing in His promises. Do you have those type of moments? Do you have those type of examples in your life where God has just given you these provisions which help you trust even to greater degrees His promises? And listen, I'm really not ultimately talking about barley and money. It can be all sorts of things, okay? God gives these tokens of provisions all over the place. Can you pinpoint God's provisions in your life? Think about that. Now, let me ask you maybe a more convicting question. If you can't, maybe you need to ask a more fundamental question. Are you grateful for how He provides? Ruth left that threshing floor She didn't know how God was going to provide. She she didn't know if He was going to be her Redeemer. She didn't even know who this other God was and what that redemption was going to look like. She didn't know what her future held, but she knew God was going to provide. She knew uh, she could trust God's promises. Does His provision cause you to have greater faith in His future promises? Have you accepted the provision of the Redeemer? Friends, Ruth 3 is a call to rest in your Redeemer's promises and be grateful for His provisions. However, I know that can be difficult. That can be difficult because of our fallenness, and it can be difficult kind of in two ditches. Number one, we can try to force God's hand rather than wait for His promises and His provisions. I'm, I'm good at that. I can kick open the doors instead of just waiting. But number two, we can also throw up our hands and not presume at all for those provisions and those promises. I I think many people miss the real beauty of Ruth chapter three. Like we we tend to get sidetracked looking at Ruth chapter three through kind of this modern secular lens. And when we do that, we okay we we fail to recognize I think the the real theology and the real beauty of this passage. You see, I recognize it's odd, okay, especially for modern ears. Like sitting at someone's feet, you know uncovering their feet, coming in the middle of the night, softly walking up to Him. All this stuff is odd, okay? But but there's something really tender and humble and beautiful going on here. There was ultimately, wasn't really a sexual angle to it. There, there's a romantic angle to it for sure. But rather, it's a, it's a beautiful example of how to pursue our Redeemer for His promises and for His provisions. It's a, it's a beautiful example of our Redeemer providing these provisions for his family. Ruth pursued, okay, but she pursued humbly. Friends, I pray that you believe that God promises you eternal life and that he makes provisions for abundant life. I pray that you believe that today. And further, I pray that his little provisions help you rest in his promises because you can rest in his promises, pursue him humbly. He promises you eternal life and He provides these provisions of abundant life. Regarding the promise of eternal life, the the older I get, the more I'm going back to the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21. In this great scene, we get this scene of heaven and eternity. And in that place, this, this promise of eternal life that God promises us, He says that, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Listen, His promise for eternity is a new Eden where you walk and talk with God. You're in His presence. You know Him in ways that you're, you, you could never know Him here. You're going to know Him perfectly there. And do you know what comes with that? Do you, do you know what happens in God's sphere and His presence? He goes on in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Friend, that's what your Redeemer promises you. That's the redemption that He promises. He promises eternal life, He promises dwelling with Him forever, He promises paradise, no more tears, no more death, no more pain. We had this. Promise of all things uh, being made new, all things being made right. The Redeemer makes this eternal promise for you. All things are going to be made right. You will have ultimate redemption in Him. Do you believe Him? Do you pursue Him humbly for eternal life? Are you waiting on Him for the promise of redemption? Are you resting in that promise? But that promise is only even better because He gives us these provisions of abundant life. Matthew 11 says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He provides rest as this provision for you today. If you come to Him the way Ruth came to Boaz, you will find rest there. He goes on to say, Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, this is His heart. This is His instinct for you. For you to have rest. If you pursue humbly, you will find rest. He gives us the provision of Himself. And He gives us this token of an even greater dwelling in eternity. We get a little bit of Him now. It's provision, it's token, but we have this promise of something in the future. But that experience of abundant life with Him it helps us to believe the promises in the future. It helps us rest in the present, knowing all things will be made right. This place is broken. This place is off. This place is, is wrong. But That's not what it's going to be like in the future. We can rest in Him today and experience perfection in eternity. We're able to rest in the husband's covering and care. Do you pursue him for abundant life? I have a friend who is very sick. She possibly uh, has a terminal disease. And, and she's a real saint. Like she's a saint in the full meaning of that word, okay? Like she is, she is a genuine believer in Christ. Not some sort of like shallow, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Like she's a real believer in Jesus. And, and out of that, she is the finest servant I think I've ever seen in a church. She just serves like nobody I've ever seen. I'm praying for her daily. And in her time of need, she has a husband who's covering and caring for her. When I spoke to him recently to get an update on his wife, I heard energy and focus in his voice that I haven't heard in a long time. Like he was activated. Like he was on mission. His heart was to cover and care for his bride. He was doing all he could to to advocate for her. I said, hey, can can I call her? No, 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 don't call her. She's resting right now. Don't text her. Don't do anything. You leave her alone right now. You I mean, he was activated. He was caring for his bride. He was covering for her. He was playing that Boaz-like role. He was caring and covering his bride in order for her to have her rest. Friends, that's the type of heart your heavenly husband has for you. He has a heart to care for you. He has a heart to cover you. Don't fall into that ditch of throwing up your hands and not pursuing your Redeemer. Rather, follow Ruth's example and pursue your Redeemer. However, also, don't fall into the other ditch of demanding of your Redeemer. Again, follow Ruth's example and humbly pursue your Redeemer. He has made you promises. He has provided provisions. And His heart is to cover and care. His heart is for you to rest in Him. So friends, rest in your Redeemer's promises and be grateful for His provisions. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this strange story and this strange matchmaker plan. I thank you for just wonderful people, real people like Boaz and Ruth, who not only provide this, this beautiful and inspiring little love story that helps us to walk in a way, in a manner that's worthy of our calling, that we're worthy people but also in the ways that it bridges to the gospel. That it bridges not just to an earthly kinsman redeemer named Boaz, but to a heavenly kinsman redeemer, a greater kinsman redeemer named Jesus. May we trust in you as our redeemer. May we trust in your promises. May we be grateful for your provisions and may we walk in the rest that comes from people who are covered and cared for the way you do it. Lord, I pray over this group today. I pray this story changes us in a way that we we don't walk out of this room the same way. I pray that we would walk away changed. I pray that this type of grace, this type of gospel would change us forever. If there's someone in this room, Lord, that's not right with you, that is not pursuing you, is not seeking you for... Covering and care and blessing and redemption and salvation, I pray today would be the day that they do. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray.